Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Now we are in the middle of a series, and the series is called Live Like. And the reason that we're doing this series is for a really important reason. See, in the Bible, as we look back, we see all of these characters who play really important roles. And in this series, we're looking at six people who listened to God and lead or led people through really difficult times and seasons. And I feel like at the moment we are in a season where we need great leaders. And if you're here today and you say, well, hey, come on, that's not me. I'm, I'm not a leader. Well, let me just explain this. Leadership's not a title. It's not, not something that you necessarily see on a business card. Leadership is actually just influence. One of the things that you understand about that is everyone's got influence. And if you just be who you are around the people that you're around, you will have an impact on them. And that impact is sometimes what we call leadership. Here's the whole point of the series. If we can learn from the past, we can lead in the future. And so each week we just look at one character. And I want to tell you about a character today in the Bible that I think is absolutely amazing. I mean, this guy is like the Old Testament heavyweight champion. His name is Moses. And Moses is one of the most talked about people, not just today, but I mean in the Bible. In fact, if you look in the Scriptures, if you were to look in the Old Testament, I don't know if you're new to church, the whole Bible is broken up into an Old Testament and the New Testament. If you look in the Old Testament, he's actually listed 760 seven times. In the New Testament, people mention Moses by name 79 times. And he's just an incredible person. And as you even hear about him and hear about what he did and and who he was, you can start to think, man, this guy is an incredible leader. He's an absolute champion of the Old Testament. But I've got to tell you, that it didn't start out that way for Moses. And so what I want to do today is just kind of tell you the story of Moses, right? Now, I'm going to explain something to you. This story that I tell you, it covers so much of the Bible. I'm going to read portions of it, and I'm just going to tell you the rest, because if we had to read everything, to be honest, we would just be here all day. But I'm going to jump straight in. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, here's what the Scriptures say. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt? Great question. When the Lord saw that he had, or that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land 
to a good, good and broad place, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and of course, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God often just calls people out. Calls people out from the life that they're living and calls them to do something specific for Him. It's kind of like back in high school, you know, when you had two captains and they were choosing teams for sport and you were sort of waiting and your name got picked out. So of a whole group of people, it always felt good if you were the first person to get chosen, you know. And, and here is Moses and he's been chosen by God to do a specific thing for God. What would you do if God just called you out from where you are and spoke to you and said, I've got a specific assignment for you and just pulled you out of the life that you were living? What would you do? I remember when I was asked if I would lead this church, Bright Church, and the first thing that I thought of when I was asked if I could do it was, I don't know if I've got the skill. Sometimes you look back and say, do I have the history? Do I have the talent? Uh, Do I have the ability, I think that if God ever asks you to do something significant and immediately you begin to ask yourself or maybe look within and say, hey, can I do this? Honestly, I think that's pretty normal. And even now while I say this, I think that there are people everywhere that are listening to this that already know that God has spoken to them. God's spoken to you. And he said, I want you to do something specific for me. And when you hear that from God, to be honest, it can be totally intimidating when God reveals the purposes and the plans that he has for you, especially if they're big or seemingly, you know, significant to you, it can be a little bit intimidating. So God meets with Moses in this story and and, and there's a, a bush that's burning and he has this incredible encounter with God. And he draws near as he sees the the bush that's burning but not consumed. And God speaks to him. Man, could you imagine that? You imagine if uh, the bush that was burning and suddenly someone starts speaking. I don't know. I'd be like thinking, man, is there someone behind there? Is this a joke? Like, am I on like candid camera or something? Is this a setup? But here it is, God speaking to him out of the bush and in this moment getting his attention. And and he says something that is honestly so great for Moses to hear. He said, you know what? I've heard uh, the cries of my people and I see that, you know, the Egyptian taskmasters are, you know, punishing them. And he says, so I have come to deliver them. Now, up to this point, Moses is probably thinking, that's a great idea. Absolutely, God. You should deliver them. I mean, it's been a long time now, but this is good. I I mean, in all honesty, I don't know why you're telling me, 
but I love that you're telling me about it. It's great. And then God says, yeah, I'm so glad you're on board with this, Moses, because I'm sending you to do it. And Moses was like, that is, what? What did you say? He says, Moses, I'm sending you to do it. And, and Moses is thinking, what? You, you're going to send me to do it? And then God gives him this sign. He goes, Moses, here's the sign that everything has come together and worked the way it's supposed to work. When you lead people out from Egypt, you'll come serve me on this mountain. Now, if you just stop and think about that for a moment, here's where it gets a little crazy. The sign that he has been successful is when they have left Egypt and they're worshiping God on the mountain. That's not the way that signs are supposed to work. The way that signs are supposed to work is it encourages you that you're on track. Like, I don't know about you, but I want the sign before I've attempted the task. You know, I want the sign before I've stepped out and done something in faith. And God says, the sign that you get, it will happen for you after you've led the people out. And I think honestly at this point, I know Moses is probably thinking, you have got the wrong guy. I don't know how many people have felt like that before in the past, but they just feel like God has got the wrong person. Maybe you've felt like that before, where God has asked you to do something and it's incredibly difficult and you say, nah, it's not me. You want someone else, not me. See, Moses has a, a, a little bit of a story here. And right now where we read this story, Moses is in his late 70s. He's been herding sheep since, you know, he was in his 40s. You know, so he's been herding sheep for maybe, I don't know, let's say 25 years on the backside of nowhere. And he's just herding sheep. And God comes to him at this moment and says, I'm going to send you to do this almighty task. See, I think when Moses heard those words, he wasn't just thinking about what God was asking him to do. He was thinking about all the reasons why this would be difficult for him to do it. Let me tell you about when Moses' story really starts. See, back in Egypt, when Moses, before Moses was really even born, back in Egypt, um, the children of Israel, the Israelites, they lived among the Egyptian people. And they grew uh, in number and they were, they were a strong people. And, you know, after a little period of time, uh, one of the pharaohs said, hey, let's, let's actually control this population. Let's make these people our slaves. And at some point in, in, in this 400-year journey between when Joseph helped Israel and planted his family there and where we see the story today, uh, they, uh, one of the pharaohs had a change of heart. So he goes to the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, and he says, here's what we're going to do. I want you to kill all the male babies. I want, you to, I want you to kill them. Now, the Hebrew wives, they're not crazy. They're not going to turn around to Pharaoh and say, no, we're not doing it. They just didn't do it. They said, okay, okay. And then they never did it. They came back to Pharaoh. They said, listen, they said the Hebrew women, they're not like your Egyptian women. When they have kids, they do it fast. You know, we don't even have time to get there. So Pharaoh revises his plan and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to find all the children, all the male babies. And I want you, and this is horrific. This is a horrible part of the story. He says, I want you to throw them into the river, into the river Nile. So here's Moses 
and he's been born uh, and, and, and his, and his mum is trying to hide him. She's trying to hide him for a period of about three months and it starts to get difficult when those little kids, when they get to be about three months, man, they can just be loud. They're just making noises. So she says, I've got to come up with another plan. Here's what she does. She takes Moses and she puts him in a little basket of, of reeds and she sends him down the river only to be discovered by Pharaoh's daughter who picks him up and she's the one that actually names him Moses. And now this is interesting. His name means to be drawn out. I just think it's so interesting that that would happen to Moses all his life. He'd be drawn out of the water. He'd be drawn out of Egypt. He'd be drawn out of obscurity and eventually sent back to Egypt. But that's what his name means. So Moses is actually an Egyptian name. Anyway, Moses' older sister is watching the whole thing. She sees what's happening. So she goes to Pharaoh's daughter and she says, hey, I tell you what, I don't know if you feel well equipped to look after a child, but how about I do this? Why don't I get one of the Hebrew women to look after this child and when he's old enough, we'll return him to you. She says, that's a great idea. So here's what ends up happening. Moses's mum ends up looking after Moses on behalf of Pharaoh's daughter. And here's the best part. I feel like all the mums would be so excited about this. She actually pays Moses's mum to look after Moses. How good is that? Man, how good would that be if you were just paid money to just look after your own child? So eventually Moses grows up and he goes and lives in the palace, but he knows who he is. So one day Moses is out and he can see what's happening to his people. And, you know, for some reason in his heart, you know, a very obvious reason, it just doesn't sit right. So he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the Hebrews. And this is what he says. He says, I'm going to step in. I'll be a hero. I'm going to stop this from happening. He ends up kill, killing the Egyptian taskmaster. He buries that guy in the sand and he thinks that no one knows about it. And he feels like he's kind of a hero. So that night he goes to bed. He wakes up the next day, walks out. He sees a few of the Hebrew people arguing. And so he goes over to sort it out. The moment that he does, they turn on him and they say, hey, who made you to be a prince or a ruler over us? And then it comes out that they actually knew that he killed that Egyptian taskmaster and buried him. And he thinks, oh my gosh, the thing that I've done, everyone knows about it. And he kind of freaks out. So before the word can even get to Pharaoh, uh, he flees Egypt. He's about 40 years old at this point, goes out into the desert, meets his wife, meets his father-in-law. Now he's just shepherding and herding sheep for, you know, the last, I don't know, sometimes between 40 and 80 years old. And, you know, this is his job. This is what he does. But I wonder if the words that Moses heard as he left Egypt that day, I wonder if as he was herding sheep, if he was thinking about those last words he heard. You know, when the, when the Hebrew people said, hey, who made you to be a ruler and prince over us? We don't want your leadership, Moses. We don't want you to be have anything to do over us. And so I wonder if those things were just going around on the inside of Moses' head. See, Moses, at this point in the story where he is talking to God and there's the burning bush, is incredibly insecure about who he is. 
he's insecure, he's, he's worried. And I, I feel like in, maybe on the inside, what he's really thinking is, God, I think you got the wrong guy because I tried to do this once. I tried to help once. I, I, I tried to sort something out. And I got to tell you, it just didn't work out. The truth is, God, I epically failed the last time I tried to step out and do something good. This is so important that you understand this. If you live out of the failure of your past, then your first failure will be your last. Your first failure will be your last because you think, that's my limit. If you're never willing to push past the failures of your history, how can you ever see what could be in your future? The moment that you fail in an area, that becomes the boundary. For some people, I feel like a boundary, maybe just in their minds, maybe it's just mentally, but they say, I just can't cross that. I just don't think I can cross that boundary again. And that's why your first failure can be your last if you live out of the failures of your past. And Moses got a significant problem here. In fact, he's got two. The first problem that Moses has is an outside one. I mean, on the outside, what has God said to him? He says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Now, just for the record, Egypt was like the super weight or, or, or the superpower, the super nation of the ancient world at this point in the season. You don't just walk in and tell Pharaoh anything. And so here he is and he's got this outside problem. I don't know what to do about that. But despite that problem, I, I think that Moses isn't even really thinking about how bad or difficult that is because his second problem is more pressing. The first problem is an outside one. It's Egypt. The second problem is an inside one. He's insecure. He looks inside himself and to be honest, he's just completely filled with inadequacy. How am I going to do this? I don't know if I've got the ability to do it. The interesting thing is, and you got to see this as I do, God, God saw all of Moses' life before he asked him to do this. God understood all of Moses' problems at the very point that he came to him. God saw all of Moses' insecurities at the moment he decided to draw him out of obscurity. God knows everything that is going on inside of Moses. He understands the problems that he's got, but he says something, five words that I think are meant to be incredibly encouraging to Moses. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, this is what God is inferring. He says, it'll be different this time, right? Let me, let me, let me explain to you how this is going to work. I will be with you. And that's the difference. That's the difference. It'll be different this time. Why? Because I'll be with you. And it, maybe it looked difficult before, but there's a difference this time, Moses. I'll be with you. And if I'm with you, then you don't need to worry about a thing. 
That's the major difference. That's the difference between when you try to do something on your own because it seemed like a good idea and you do something in alignment with what God has called, gifted, graced and asked and commissioned you to do. That's the big difference. It's a major difference when you do something when God is with you and He speaks to you about it. See, what happens is sometimes, you know, you have these failures in the past. Everyone's got failures in the past. Everyone's made mistakes in the past. Everyone has something like maybe a perceived limit that they've had in their past, a point where they thought, I don't know if I can ever grow beyond that point. And what happens is, is that mistakes can often lead to fears. And those fears become boundaries to people because they don't want to step beyond where they did last time. You don't want to let God or stop God from doing what He wants to do in your future because you failed by yourself in the past. There is a major difference when God walks with you. You've got to try it with God. God says, Moses, I get what you're saying, but you've tried it without me. You tried to free a few of the Hebrew people without me. You did it with just a few people and it didn't work. Hey, we're going to do it differently this time. I will be with you. We're going to do it together. Moses hears this, right? And, and if you read the Scriptures, right, in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, he comes up with three, to what perceived to be in his eyes, three really good reasons why maybe God has the wrong person. The first problem that Moses has is he says, well, I don't know what to say. And God says, say, I am sent you. When God said, I am, just for those of you that wouldn't be aware of this, that is his self-disclosing statement of who he is. He is the eternal God. He just is. He always has been. He always will be. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He is the great I am. He says, say that I am sent you. And when you say that, it'll be okay. See, whenever God sends you anywhere, whenever He calls you, there's always provision in His calling. Of course, He's going to provide. There's no gap that you can come up with that God hasn't already first thought about and already covered. And so Moses hears that. He says, okay, okay, I get what you're saying. So, okay, I go there and I say, I am sent me. Second problem he has. He says, well, they just won't believe me. And God says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And Moses has got a staff in his hand and it becomes a snake. He throws it down and he kind of freaks out. To be honest, this is kind of crazy because he just, as soon as it becomes a snake, he runs away and then he sort of comes back to it. Man, I'd be running away too. And he runs away, he comes back and, and, and he picks up the tail of the snake and it turns into a staff in his hand. And he was really making the point to Moses, you know what, you don't need anything else. You don't need to go somewhere and get something extra and bring it back here. When I called you, I already knew what was in your hands. God knows what's in your hands when He calls you. God knows the limits of your talents and your abilities. Here's the point. If you take what you have and you place it in the hands of God, or you sacrifice it, or you give it to God, God can do with your more with your sacrificial offering of what you have than you could ever do if you try to keep it for yourself. He's better than you are on your best day, easily. And so Moses gets this staff and it turns into a snake and then it goes back. And listen, God can give you whatever you need and He can use what you already have. Moses comes up with a third problem. And he says, well, 
God, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not eloquent. I'm not eloquent. Moses had a stuttering problem. And he's thinking about it. He already feels insecure about it. And he says, you know, I, I don't speak good. I don't have eloquent words. I mean, when leaders get up and when they make great speeches and when they are great communicators, they don't stutter. No one's going to listen to me. The moment that they hear me speak, they're going to think something about me that's not true. And, and don't you get it? You can't use me, God. I, I don't have what it takes. And, and God, this is the best comeback you're ever going to hear anywhere in the Bible. God says, Moses, yes, God, who made man's mouth? You, I made your mouth. Don't you think that if I made your mouth that I can fix this, Moses, you have no problem that I cannot provide for. When I called you, it's not like I was unaware of your stutter. I knew what you had. I just believed that it's okay and you can do it. Moses is so hung up on this issue of his stuttering. God kind of gets angry and he says, you know what? Fine. He says, why you take Aaron? Aaron's your brother. Go back, take Aaron. He can speak on your behalf. See, God always puts the right people around you to enable you to succeed. There's always provision. He can use what you have. He can place the right people around you. There's nothing that you can really come up with that God hasn't already foreseen or He doesn't already know about. He knows your problems before He calls you, but this is where it gets important. He can still use all of that past to build your future. He still uses all of that past to build your future. Sometimes what you got to do is go back and face your past. You got to go back and, and deal with it. And I know what it feels like to want to pretend like there are some things in your past that you just want to ignore. It's like you don't want to even deal with it. You just want to pretend that it wasn't even there. Maybe you want to pretend that it never even happened. Maybe even as I say this, it's not even the things that are in your past. It's the things in your present you're trying to ignore. Pretend like it's not a problem. Like there's some addiction in your life that no one knows about and you're trying to live two lives. In one, you're actually secretly addicted to something that no one knows about. And on the other side, you're trying to pretend like it's not even a problem, like you're dealing with it fine and it's totally okay. Can I tell you something? When you start to readdress the problems in your past or your present, there is a big difference between trying to do it on your own and trying to do it with God. And that's God's encouragement to you. And that was God's encouragement to Moses. He says, but it's different. It's different if you've got me with you. Remember, I will be with you. It's what he continues to say to him. So Moses goes back and, you know, he faces Pharaoh and he says to him, hey, listen, if you don't let the children of Israel, the Hebrew people go and worship God. If you don't let them go and do this, right, it's going to get serious. I mean, we're going to talk, talking plagues here, Pharaoh plagues. And so the plagues start, you know, and Pharaoh would say, oh, okay, you can go. And then he changes mind. And then, then, okay, you can go. And then he changes mind when the plague would be stopped, you know. And there's plagues. Like I read this stuff and I think, man, this would be horrible. I mean, this is back in the day where plagues were real bad, you know, and, and they got like locusts and all kinds of stuff. And, and my kids would probably love it, to be honest. My kids would absolutely love it. I mean, if there were frogs everywhere, my, my, my kids would be living the dream. Not me, not me. 
In fact, I actually, a couple of years ago, I went on a holiday to the Northern Territory. And when I went there, there were so many flies there. You had to, it was hard to actually almost speak. There were moments where you didn't want to draw a breath in because you thought you might swallow a mouthful of flies as you do it. Man, this, this would be horrible, right? So all these plagues are coming and, and they're affecting the people. And, and when you look at the Scripture, when you look at what happened there, I don't know about you, but I don't read this scripture and think to myself, wow, look at what Moses did. Look at all the things that Moses accomplished. Look at the plagues that Moses conjured up. Look at how Moses sent the frogs. Look at how Moses sent the locusts. Look at how Moses sent all these things. You wouldn't even say that. Come on, come on, let's be honest right now. If we were really reading this story and we were using our brains and we were thinking just a little bit harder about this, wouldn't you come to the same conclusion as me where we would both say together, wow, look at what God did through Moses. Look at what God did through Moses. It wasn't that Moses was doing all of this stuff. It was that God was working through Moses. See, here's what you've got to know. God can use anyone, anytime, anywhere. And the reason why is because He is the hero of this story. I mean, I know that he's working through Moses and we see that and we get it, but who's the hero of this story? The hero is God. Moses, for the first part, is almost dragged into this. I don't think he was really excited to go, but he's kind of dragged into this thing as the hero here, if it's anyone, is God. God's the one that sent the plagues. God's the one that appeared to Moses. God's the one that encouraged him. God's the one that said, I would be with you. Every miracle you ever saw, it was God at work. Yep, through Moses. And I get that Moses was a willing participant. In fact, he was called the servant of God. That was one of Moses' titles. So yep, he was a servant and he still had to say yes. But the most amazing and dynamic stuff that you ever see here, it happened because of what God did. Sometimes in the culture that we live in, even when we read the Scriptures, even sometimes when you hear some preaching, and there's not anything necessarily wrong with this, but I feel like we have this innate desire sometimes to be the hero, you know? Like we want to be the Saviour. You read the story and you say, I know who I am in the story. I'm Moses. I'm Moses. I say yes, and I go out, and I can do mighty exploits in God's name. And there are elements of that that are true. But honestly, if you look at the story and just take a big step back and say, all right, who's Moses in the story? And who are the Hebrew people in the story, right? We are the Hebrew people. The truth is, we are the slaves. We're the ones that are in trouble. We're the ones that are incapable of helping ourselves. If Moses represents anyone, it's God coming to rescue us because that's what we need more than anything else. We need God's power at work in us. And thank God for that. Because if it was all on Moses, I mean, honestly, how encouraging would that be? If I came here today and I told you, hey, it's just that Moses was amazing and Moses had ability and Moses could do these incredible things. If that was the big story here, then what I'm really saying to you is, if you don't measure up to Moses, you'll never be able to do anything. Don't you get it? 
See, if you really read the story and you look at it, it's the God used the guy that really didn't want anything to do with it, but he submitted to it and God worked through him. Now, where that gets really cool is if you submit to God, God can do the same work through you. But who's the hero? At the end of the day, the hero is God. He features all the way through this thing. He's making the whole thing come together. So nine plagues go by and there's one more plague to come. This is a really, I think, an incredibly sad, and this is like the low point right here in some ways. There's a 10th plague, and the 10th plague, in the 10th plague, the angel of death comes. It's not a demon. It's the angel of death. And he says, I will take all the lives of all the firstborn children in Egypt. Now, the Hebrews lived in Egypt, so it included both of them. But he said to the Hebrew people, if you take some of the blood of a lamb that you sacrifice and you paint it over your doorpost, then the angel of death will see that blood and will pass over your house. This is where the Passover meal comes from. And so the angel of death would see that blood and he would move on. And if you know the story, they wake up the next day and what's happened? All the Egyptian firstborn children are dead but not for the Hebrews. This happens and Pharaoh says, fine, just go. They plunder the Egyptians. And as they're leaving and they've exited and they're they're on their way out to worship God, Pharaoh says, no, he changes his mind again. He says, we've got to get these guys back. These people people build our city. We're not going to survive without them. So we've got to go back and get these people. So he starts to chase down the Israelites. And this would be a horrific, a horrible thing for the Israelites. I mean, what do you do when you're trapped, when there's nothing that you can do? I mean, the Egyptians are clearly going to track them down. They, they actually came to this point where they were trapped because they had the Red Sea on one side and all of Pharaoh and, and his army were coming down and, and, and they were chasing them. I mean, they were trapped. What do you do when you're outmatched, you're outnumbered, you're completely trapped, the circumstance that you're facing is well beyond your ability to control. What do you do in that situation? See, if you learn anything from this whole message, let it be this. You can't save yourself, but you can surrender to God. And that's the story of the Hebrew people all the way through this message. You can't save yourself, but you can surrender to God. If you try to live without God's help, the saddest thing is He'll actually let you. But if you try to live without God's help, eventually you're going to come up against a problem that will stop you. It'll be a situation that'll feel like it's well beyond your ability, ability to control. Something that, you know, You were never able to handle. And here's the saddest part. You'll never know what God could have done because you never asked Him to help you. You cannot always be your own Savior. There's a time when you say, God, I just need you. I need you. I'm outmatched. I don't know how to handle this. I need you, God. 
you want to be like Moses, you just got to keep surrendering. What did Moses do? He surrendered his will. He surrendered his fears. He surrendered everything about his life. Gee, he even surrendered his entire future. Maybe in his own mind, he thought, I'll finish out my life herding sheep in the desert. Ironically, he kind of kept doing that. It's another story, but he surrendered all of that. He said, God, I tell you, I'm going to put my life completely in your hands. Now I'll do whatever you ask me to do and I'll go wherever you want me to go. And so we come to this point of the story where they are trapped. Pharaoh, the Egyptians, they're beating down on them. What are they going to do? And God comes and he, he says to Moses what he's about to do. Moses looks at the people who are freaking out at this time. I can understand that too. And he says, hey, he says, today the Lord will fight for you. You just need to be silent. There are some battles that only God can fight for you. You can't actually win on your own. There are some things that you need God to do for you. And he says, you just gotta let God come and do what he's gonna do. And then God says to Moses, hey, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to stretch out your arm and lift up your staff over the ocean, over the Red Sea, just like this, see? Moses lifts up his hands. You know, when I, when I see people lift up their hands like this, like this, it's like, it's like worship. It's more than worship. It's like surrender. That's, that's one of the things I love about raising hands in worship because to me, it's not just a sign of we see who you are and we see who we are. We acknowledge how amazing you are and your glory and your majesty. It's, it's not just that. We're saying we worship you, but we're also surrendered to you. Have your way with our lives. And this is what Moses does. He stretches out his hands over the Red Sea. And if you know the rest of the story, the, the Red Sea parts and Israel walks through and it leads them to, to, to freedom on the other side of the Red Sea. And if you're listening to that story and you say, this is a cool story. I still, I really don't know what this has to do with me. This story in so many ways is all about you. You're just like Israel incapable of saving yourself. I don't know if you know this, but, but you're actually born into some kind of spiritual slavery. Maybe you never noticed it. Maybe you didn't realize it. Maybe you're new to church, but you were like, what are you talking about? You're born into spiritual slavery. There's a major problem in your life. That problem is sin. In fact, the Bible says that all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned, you've sinned. That's why whenever you meet a Christian person, hopefully they are the least self-righteous person you've ever met because we know that we are just the products of grace by a God who loves us. All of us have this same problem. We're all spiritual slaves in some way and God comes to Israel. And you know, you know in this story, as we read it, Exodus chapter six, you can read it for yourself. He said, here's what I'm gonna do. He says, I will lead you out and I will redeem you. 
That word redeem in the original Hebrew language, it means to restore something to its originally intended and created purpose. You've got to know this about yourself. And I don't know if you're, you might be here listening for the first time. You're not a Christian. So yeah, you really have no idea what I'm talking about. Let me tell you this. There is a purpose on your life. God has a plan for you. And it's almost from the womb, we just want to go in the other direction. It's so easy for us to to resist the call of God, to resist what God wants to do. And we all go our own individual way. Do you know when you just make your own decision over and over and don't do everything that God's asked you to do, that, that's what we call sin. And that this is why it's so easy to do. And this is why it's a problem for everyone. But God says, here's what I wanna do. I wanna lead you out of the slavery that you're in right now spiritually. And I wanna redeem you. I wanna restore you. There's a created purpose on your life. And I, I wanna restore that purpose to you. But before you're even restored, you have to be led out. That's what God wants to do. He leads people out. And can I tell you this, that when God leads you out, oftentimes it can be a moment. It happens in a moment. It happens in a prayer. It happens when you say to Jesus, I wanna be forgiven for my sins. Lead me out of the situation that I'm in right now. Lead me out of the spiritual slavery, right? It happens in a moment. But I got to tell you, there is a pathway to freedom. Sometimes it takes a little longer than you thought. You have to walk out of the place that you're in. Freedom's a journey. Restoration takes a while. And in my experience, I've seen plenty of people be led out, but struggle with that freedom after because all of the past stuff that they wanted buried, or the past stuff that they maybe don't even really wanna acknowledge, the addictions, the bad memories, the poor relationships, all your poor choices, I've discovered it has this way of wanting to claw its way back into your life. How many of you would understand that, you know, your old life doesn't always wanna let you go? Sometimes your old life just wants to cling on. It wants to, it's, it's a cling on. It just wants to hold on just that little bit longer. And, and if it can bring you back and pull you back from where God is wanting to lead you, it'll do everything it can. And so here's my point to you. If your past is still a problem, try surrendering. The more you surrender, the more you succeed. If the past is a problem, surrender. Surrender to God. Come to Him and say, God, I trust You. I'm surrendering my will. I'm surrendering my desires. I'm surrendering everything. Have all of me. Sometimes it's not just a decision that you make once. It's a daily lifestyle. You get up in the morning and you say, God, there's a bunch of things that I'm gonna need to surrender today. And the more you surrender, the more you walk in freedom. I'm telling you, God, He wants to lead you out and He wants you to keep walking into that redemptive story that He has for you. But you gotta make a choice to do it. And the best way to make the choice, what is it? Surrender. You just keep surrendering. You just keep giving everything to God because you'll never be free if you're always trying to save yourself. You cannot be in this situation. You cannot be your own Savior. You need help. And here are five words that God would say to you. He'd say to you, if you're struggling, if you have things happening in your world right now, He says this, it'll be different this time because I will be with 
you. And that is the difference. That will change everything. I want to pray for anyone here today who honestly in their heart, they say, that's me. I'm trying to get away from some stuff in the past of have a fear of failure. I have these limitations, these boundaries I've placed around myself. I'm trying to move the right direction, but it's almost like maybe fear is trying to claw you back. Maybe it's your past, your history, your addiction, whatever it is, there's something in there that says, hey, come on, come back to your old life. I want to pray for anyone who says, I want to break from the past. I want to walk in everything that God has for me. If that's you, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for everyone right now that says, that's me. I need the old to be gone so I can just walk in the newness of everything that you have for me. I pray, God, that your redeeming work would continue to encourage them, lift them up, God. And I pray for everybody that hears this word today and says, this is me. I pray that you get really good at surrendering. I pray, God, help them, help them every day to wake up and say, God, I surrender all. I give it all to you. I worship you. I'm surrendering and I'm worshiping at the exact same time. And God, would you come and fight the battles that I cannot fight? Because I need you right now. And God, I know that if they say that they need you, that you will be with them. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.